Well, good morning. Welcome to community. Uh, I'm the Andrew that she just prayed for. Uh, anyway, it's, it's really awesome to be here, uh, and welcome to those who are joining us via live stream, uh, whether you are unable to make it, traveling, or just checking us out, uh, the hope and prayers that we get to meet in person. But I'm glad that we, we get to worship together this morning, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I wanted to start off with a, with a story. Uh, actually, a question. How many of you, show of hands, remember your first car? Yep, so I, I drove a, a spectacular 1990 Honda Accord. Um, it had 330,000 miles on it when the odometer stopped working. So the odometer didn't work, the speedometer didn't work, the tachometer didn't work, uh, the exhaust fell off multiple times. Uh, so th this car was basically uh, an engine with wheels. Nothing really worked. Three functioning doors. It was, it was a beauty, right? It was my pride and joy. She was nicknamed the Green Machine because I spray painted her lime green. Um, I spent more money on the spray paint than I did on the car itself. So if that says anything about this car. Uh, but now, that's not the car I wanted to talk about. Um, I've got a, a best friend that I've known since middle school. And since he's in this room, I won't say his name, but it rhymes with dark flower. So anyway, Mark drove a, uh, <laughs> a Mustang convertible. And it wasn't super flashy, right? But for a 16-year-old kid, it's a Mustang convertible. And it was like, uh, we, we rolled with the top down probably 80% of the year. Anytime it wasn't uh, raining or snowing, we had the top down and we were cruising, right? And as a 16-year-old kid, uh, driving a Mustang convertible, you had to be careful because cops paid attention a little bit more to a kid driving a Mustang than maybe a, a lime green Honda Accord 330,000 miles on it vehicle. So anyway, uh, me and uh, this, this random guy named Mark, uh, we're driving around, right? And we've got our buddy Shane in the back seat, and it's winter. And I don't remember if we were 16 or 17, but, but we're driving. And we turn into our subdivision. Mark and I shared a duplex um, while our parents did. And we, we lived in it. Uh, so we were driving home, and Shane was in the back seat, and it's icy, and there's snow on the road. Uh, and and he, he turns right onto our subdivision, right? Well, the tail end kicks out just a little bit. This is a rear-wheel drive vehicle. It kicks out just a little bit, and so Mark corrects. And he, he turns it the other way. And he overcorrects maybe a little bit, and the, the tail end kind of gets away from him, and we start kind of spinning out of control. Now, Mark and I, being as cool as we were, we were silent, right? We were calm, cool, collected. We weren't worried. In reality, we were probably just a little too shocked to, to, to cry. But Shane in the back seat, right, we're careening out of control, and Shane in the back seat is just screaming like, guys, watch out, there's a, there's, a, there's a telephone pole, and then there's a landscaping rocket, and this is like a big boulder, so if we hit it, that was the end of the Mustang. And so he's just screaming in the back seat as we're barreling down this subdivision, not too fast, but we can't slow down. And we're, we're heading right towards this telephone pole, we miss it by inches, inches. Shane is still screaming. We're still cool, calm, and collective. Mark is never, he, he never even put two hands on the wheel. It was, you know, one hand is left and right and left and right. So we just missed this telephone pole. We did not miss the, 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 the row of mailboxes next to the telephone pole. There were probably four of them that we just Mail everywhere, right? There's mail all over our neighbor's lawn. Because this was just a couple of houses down from where we lived. And of course, being 16 or 17, uh, Shane and I, we didn't help Mark pay for the mailboxes. We didn't help put them in. Him and his dad uh, put them in. Um, he's not over there, so I don't know why I looked over there. So your first car, sometimes it's kind of like this rite of passage. Uh, it's this first step into freedom and independence. And uh, you get to drive wherever you want. You maybe have a curfew, but if you want to go and get ice cream, you can get in the car and go and get ice cream. And for many people, uh, the first car becomes like this obsession, right? Uh, 
you, everything you do is because you can. You get to. You don't have to be home for dinner if you don't want to. Uh, you can get in your car and go to the movie. Uh, and all of our money, you know, was spent on, on gas because then it was like $4.30 a gallon, which is just ridiculous. Quick disclaimer, I broke my microphone last week. Uh, this is a brand new one, so if I'm fidgeting, it's because it hasn't formed to my face yet. So that's just a, just a heads up. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> your first car can kind of become this obsession that you pour money into and you, you, you wake up and this is what gets you up in the morning because you've got this, this newfound freedom uh, that you can just go wherever you wanted. And so I drove you know, probably 100 miles a day, just wherever, because I could. For a lot of people, this obsession becomes like the thing that, that you're after and it sticks with you for a while. I know a lot of people who are, who are car people and that's good. Those are good things, but sometimes it becomes the thing that we're after. And that's my question for us today. That's my question for us today is just this, what, who, where, what are you after? Not, not chronologically, but, but what gets you up in the morning? What, what gets your, your blood pumping maybe a little bit faster? What makes you excited? What, what makes the day go by just a little bit faster because you are excited to be a part of this thing? What are you after? Paul goes to great lengths in this chapter uh, to show us the importance of Christ being the who, being the what that we are after as followers. As a community of believers, Paul says, I want to know Christ. So who, what are you after? Now, we're in the middle of this series through the book of Philippians. It was a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in a city named Philippi. Uh, and the, the, the crux of this, this letter that he writes is just oozing with affection for this community of believers. And he's encouraging them to seek humility and to seek unity. And that kind of informs what's going on in the city. We can kind of gather that, okay, maybe there's some problems with disunity in this church. Maybe there's some issues with people getting along because of the persecution and the pressure coming from outside of the church. Pastor Trent gave a brilliant example um, that the, the church in Philippi is, is kind of like, instead of uh, their heads together kicking the enemy, uh, their heads are facing out kicking each other. But Paul is calling them into unity. Now, I want to remind us a little bit about what's going on in Philippi at this time. Why is this letter so important? Now, uh, the, the church in Philippi was Paul's first church plant in Europe, which is a big step. Paul was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and this was a huge step. The second thing that I want us to, to pay attention to is this small population in Philippi of ex-Roman military, right? These veterans had made this sort of a, a retirement community. Now, that, that sounds great, uh, except they, they were taking advantage of those who have needs so that they could live tax-free, so that they could uh, use utilize their, their social status as political leverage to get their way, and many people likely suffered because of that. So there's the first plant of Paul in Europe. Uh, there's a small retired community of Roman military vets. And lastly, in Philippi, there is a very small number of Jewish uh, men. Now, we know that because uh, there's no synagogue in, in Philippi. Now, there was a place of prayer, but to have a synagogue, you needed 10 uh, faithful Jewish men, and there, there, there wasn't even that. And so any sort of normal comfortabilities that Paul would have in a given city, he didn't really have that going into Philippi. So this first church plant in Europe was a big deal for Paul. Now, most of, of the, the letter to Philippians is uplifting and upbeat. 
the, the, the very first chapter kind of reads like this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. So Paul has got just this affection for this community, but they've seen some things together. But chapter three changes just a little bit. It's kind of set apart from the rest of this book. Let me, let me read. It's not going to be on the screen, but verse two of chapter three, listen just to the difference of attitude here that Paul is expressing. Verse two, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. That, that's a little different than I thank my God every time in all of my prayers, every time I think of you. It's a little bit different of a, of a personality. Paul gets emotional here. He's kind of pouring his heart into this letter and it's starting to show maybe in a, in a different light, in a different way. I'm gonna read uh, Chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 7 through 11. It's about that far through your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. If you've got a Bible in front of you, feel free to take it out and just kind of follow along. But I'm going to read uh, these five verses, and we're going to back up and work our way through it again. See what Paul is saying to this community and what he might be saying to you and to me. So verse 7 reads like this. Uh, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your holy scriptures that just breathe life into us. Father, speak to and through me this morning. If there's something I have planned to say that you don't want me to say, strike it from my memory, from the page. But if there's something that you want me to say that I don't have planned to say, make it burn within me so I can't help but proclaim your truth to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's Paul talking about here? What are these prophets that, that he's got that maybe other people don't have? He says just a few verses earlier, he says this. Uh, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecutor of the church, as for legalistic righteousness, blameless. Paul says, if anybody thinks they have confidence in the flesh, any reason for it, I've got more. But then he says, whatever profit that I might have, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. His social status, his reputation, any leveraging tools that he's got, his bragging rights and accomplishments. Paul says, I consider those things lost for the sake of knowing Christ. I can't help but think that there's something in here for that, that community of, of veterans who are taking advantage of those who are in need. That maybe the, the, the community of believers there is becoming jealous of the status of these veterans and, and maybe they want to retaliate or maybe it's just causing some tension. But Paul is saying, no, even I who have more reason for confidence in the flesh than they have, 
I consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. Reputation, social image and leverage, accomplishments, bragging rights. My brothers and sisters often aren't these the things that we seek after? Aren't these sometimes the things that that we uh, orient our lives around? I think for some of us, the the reason that we wake up in the morning is often to uh, pursue our careers. And careers are great. Don't get me wrong. They're really great. We ought to be pursuing those things. But often we say, I want to be after that. That's what I'm going to make my life about. Sometimes we, we seek financial security or stability or, or we got our eyes on uh, you know, a brand new Subaru uh, or something like that or a brand new Mustang. We, we sometimes place these accomplishments and confidence in the flesh things as the thing that we orient our lives around. And Paul says, I consider all of these as loss for the sake of Christ. But that's not all that Paul says. What's more, verse 8, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. That word right there, rubbish, synonymous with uh, dung. (laughs) Uh, He's literally saying that uh, all these things aren't worth anything. In fact, they're not just worth nothing. Uh, I consider them garbage, dung, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Paul's putting so much attention on the importance of knowing Christ. So not only are his gains a loss, but he considers everything when you compare it to knowing Christ. My first thought is, Paul, when did this happen for you? When did you become so like righteous and for Christ? Because for most of his life, Paul actually persecuted the church. He says, for zeal, persecuting the church. He, he persecuted followers of Christ. Not because he was evil, actually, but it was because he thought he was following the will of God. You see, Paul, Paul was a Jewish man, and his desire and thought process was that if he could turn Israel into a Yahweh, God-fearing nation again, a law-abiding nation, bring her back to her foundations, her roots, then maybe the Lord would come sooner. That this Messiah talked about in the Old Testament would come just a little bit sooner. He thought that if he snuffed out these followers of Christ, and these other religions that maybe God would move. So that's, that's what he said his life after. And that changed when he met Christ on the road. In fact, his name was Saul. His entire identity shifted. It changed from Saul to Paul. Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the church planter. His identity shifted for Paul. It was not just about adding Christ onto the things he was already doing. No, this was a complete renewal. This was new life for Paul. Paul says, I consider all things lost when compared to knowing Christ. He's like, Paul, so you're saying I can't, I can't have hobbies? I can't have, uh, you know, projects? No, not at all. I think what Paul is saying is that when you compare these things that we've been given to the one who's given them to us, they should just seem empty compared to the worth and value of knowing Christ Jesus. And then I thought, Paul, you know, if, if you removed everything from Paul's life that has to do with Christ and the church, what would be left? And what would change for Paul? For Paul, he he would probably die and nothing would be left. His entire identity, his new life, his life was in the palm of Jesus's loving hands. This question came into my mind when I was preparing for this sermon, which is obvious because I'm saying it during the sermon. Uh, If we removed the things about Christ from our lives, what would change? Would much change at all? And then I thought, man, I I feel really guilty if I were to be honest about that question. 
Then I thought, no, that's actually not a good question. You see, because Christ isn't something we can remove. He's not an add-on to our lives. He's not something we can take away from our lives like he's been tacked on to the end or the middle or the beginning. No, Christ is our life. Our lives in, in our baptism, in the moving of the Spirit, we have life in Christ. So if you removed everything about Christ from our lives, we would have no life. So I think it's a bad question. Because Christ is not something we can remove if we have new life, if our identity has been changed uh, it's like, it's, like, it's like marriage, right? Ellen and I have been married for a couple of years, uh, just about three years. It'll be three years on August 1st. Now, when you get married, things change. Like one day I was a single man fending for myself. The next day I was trying to figure out how to be married, right? And we started living together and we had to figure everything out. And we went through premarital counseling and, and we went through all this stuff, but we, we had to figure things out now that we were in the same house together. Like, like how many pieces of cheese go on a grilled cheese? At least two. Amen. I became the proud owner, actually it was hers, but I got to use it, of an iron, like a clothes iron. I ironed my own clothes this morning. Of course, at the beginning, she probably ironed more than she wanted to. But we had to start figuring this stuff out. Like, like okay, so does the butter go on the outside or the inside of your grilled cheese? So when you make a, a, a s'more, uh, do, you, do, you, do you bake it nice and golden brown or do you burn it? Or, or, or what, you know, is it, is it a s'more? Do you like the marshmallows? Or when you load the dishwasher, do you put them in the dishwasher or put them in the sink? Now, granted, I kind of had to come her way on that one because um, I was, I, you know, I, was, I, I made a mess. And now we don't have a dishwasher, so it doesn't matter. I am the dishwasher. Uh, but regardless, we had to learn all this new stuff because Ellen is not just an add-on to my life. The, the marriage is not something that was tacked on to the things I was already doing. In this covenant relationship that Ellen and I have, we were made new. We are now one. Every decision that I make is now influenced by the fact that I'm in a covenant relationship with my wife. I want to be with her more often and have deep conversations and get to know her more and more. I want to spend time with her. I guard our time as much as, as much as I can. And I think this is the language that Paul is using here. If you read on verse 10, he says this, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know Christ. In the, in the next chapter, chapter four, Paul says, I've learned to be content in every situation. I think there are times in Paul's life where he leaned heavily on his desire to know Christ. And that's what got him through some of these situations. I think there were times in Paul's life where he would be familiar with having substantial meals and having them frequently. And there were times in his life where he was familiar with a grumbling stomach, not knowing when, where, and if the next meal was coming. And Paul says, I've learned to be content. And I think what's helped him through that over the years, I want to know Christ, Paul says, and the power of his resurrection. There were times when ministry for Paul was smooth sailing. And then there were times where he was literally shipwrecked, beaten to within an inch of his life. And I think the thing that sustained him through that process was a desire to know his Lord and Savior, Jesus some of these things should sound familiar, and I don't, I don't mean actual shipwrecks. I don't know how many of you have crashed a boat before. Uh, we almost sank a boat a few times, but, but some of these things should sound familiar. Because there are members of our congregation in our community 
who have plenty, who have substantial meals and have them frequently, and there are some people that we know, uh, some people in our congregation, some people in our communities, in our families who don't know when, if, and where their next meals are coming from. In both scenarios, the question is, who are you after? The thing that sustained Paul was a desire to know Christ because Paul went after Christ with everything he had. Everything he was, he pursued Christ. There are some people in our communities who don't know if the amount of money coming in is going to pay for mortgage or rent or supplies for their children or, or backpacks or school clothes. And it's such a hard question. But, 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 but what are you after Is it a desire to know Christ? And then Paul goes on. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? Because it seems like part of that is experiencing the resurrection now. Amen. And part of that is the hope that we have in the future. What is this resurrection? You see, in the resurrection, our, our souls and spirits aren't the only things that are, that are raised. We confessed and professed the Apostles' Creed this morning that said we believe in the resurrection of the body. Physical resurrection. That we'll have bodies like Jesus. We'll walk and talk. When Jesus came back, he ate fish with his disciples. He was, he was walking. And in the resurrection, we'll experience the same thing. When God makes a new heavens and a new earth, I think in the resurrection, that we'll be able to feel the dirt under our feet without worrying about thorns or thistles. That we'll be able to feel the breeze through our, through our hair without worrying about tornadoes and hurricanes. That we'll enjoy delicious food without others not having any. That's, that's the resurrection. But it's, but it's not quite here yet. Right, So this, this comment by Paul, I want to experience the power of his resurrection, somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, is this future hope that he has. But he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, Paul says, now. That song that we sang, you and I, we've got access to that power. The Spirit was sent, and we've got that. We get to experience part of that now. Now, what does that mean? Let me start with what it doesn't mean. When we experience the power of the resurrection, that might not mean that all of our broken relationships are fixed. At least not right away. If you haven't talked to your parents or your kids in the last couple of weeks, it's not, it's not going to instantly make things easy. The power of the resurrection might not, might not make addictions easier to drop or bad habits easier to throw away. Now, it can. And we've got authority to proclaim those things in our lives. But sometimes we share on the suffering of Christ, just as Paul says here, the power of the resurrection sometimes doesn't fix all of our health issues. Sometimes the power of the resurrection doesn't fill the hole of the pain that we feel when we've lost somebody that we love. Sometimes the resurrection doesn't fix everything for us. Our congregation uh, over the last number of weeks has had a significant number of people fighting for their lives. That's a reality. So what does the power of the resurrection do now? Yeah, sometimes it does heal. 
Sometimes it does redeem and reconcile, but with the power of the resurrection, what that does now, it means that the pain that we experience doesn't get the last word. And it doesn't go wasted. It means that our broken relationships might not be fixed right away, but they can be redeemed and reconciled. It means that even death is not the end. You see, our hope in Christ goes far beyond the cold fingers of death. When you set your sights on Christ, that is the hope that we hold on to. So if Christ is the one who you're after, if he's the one you set your sights on, if he's the one you're after from this day forward for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in want and need, then even death cannot separate you from his incredible, sacrificial, life-giving love. Last week, I, I mentioned that my, my grandpa was a Vietnam vet. When he was 19, he was deployed in Vietnam, and he came down with malaria. And it was bad. They didn't, they didn't expect him to, to, to make it, and so they, they flew him back to the States, to Delaware. And of course, they, they called his parents. Now, Larry was his name. He's got a younger brother, Jack, who was 16 or 17 at the time. He was working. And when Larry's parents heard uh, that their son was, was being flown to the States with people who had lost limbs and lost their lives and, and people who wouldn't make it home to their loved ones, uh, of course, Larry's parents packed up from Holland, Michigan, and they went to Delaware. They went to be with their son. Uh, Jack was at work, and he, he wasn't able to go with them. Now, they made this journey to Delaware from Holland. They got to the hospital, and they went to the, the person behind the information desk, and they you know, they asked, they said, hey, we're, we're here to see our son. They gave him their names and, and who they were here to see. And the person behind the desk said, uh, you have two sons here. And so terrified, they went to Larry's room. They went to their son's room and opened the door. Fast asleep next to my grandpa was Jack. So Jack was at work when his parents left, but as soon as he could, he hitchhiked from Holland, Michigan to Dover, Delaware. Not because he could help the situation, but because uh, he loved his brother. He wanted to be there. And so every step along the way, right, his parents were, were just dumbfounded at how their son, their 16 or 17-year-old son, could make it from Holland, Michigan to Dover, Delaware before they made it. But every step along the way, Jack had to ask the question whether or not this was what he was after, whether or not it was worth it. And so every truck that he got on, every truck stop that he stopped at, every step that he made, he had to re-decide that this was a commitment he's willing to make. That's the kind of love that Christ calls you and I to. When you and I pursue Christ, when we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that's the kind of love. And maybe, maybe, maybe your story of love isn't this huge, uh, grandiose story of traveling across the country for somebody, but each step of the way counts. Each step of the way counts. And my question, what are you after today? I want, I want to be with you. I want to encourage you. Paul makes it seem often like, uh, like we can't serve Jesus and enjoy our lives, right? No, you see, God made creation for you and I to enjoy. God made creation for us to enjoy and give him glory for. So when you leave here, I, I don't want you to hear that you can't enjoy the gifts that God has given so if you've got a boat, go on the boat. 
Enjoy the breeze, enjoy the lake. If you've got kayaks, enjoy the rivers. If, you've, if you like camping, go camping. If you don't like camping, buy a camper. <laughs> Feel the dirt beneath your feet and the cool water of the streams. Because creation is good. But only when we don't put creation before our creator. Only when we don't pursue the things God has given us but pursue God with the things that he's given us. So I want to ask you, who, who are you after? What are you after? Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are faithful. Often when we don't deserve it, and we, we thank you for, gosh, for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for the power of your resurrection. Father, give us this righteous conviction to want to know you more a conviction that that leads to you, not a conviction that leads to shame and guilt and isolation, but a conviction that leads to to your life-giving name. Father, don't let us leave the same. Let us show love that is selfless as we make you the who and the what that we are after, as we pursue you with everything that we have. Father, We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I, I will say my, my grandpa survived. Uh, he, is, he is alive uh, and well. Um, you see, life, life takes you down so many roads, long and short, bumpy, smooth, curvy, uh, and straight. It's just, but the, but the, the striving thing in our lives, whichever road that we're on, ought to be Christ. So hear these words from Paul to his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received with all gentleness, humility, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. Pursue Christ this week. Go in peace.